0: So we are beginning a study through 1 John, and I've, for about three years, uh, I have been wanting to tackle this book, and um, on two different occasions, I have began studying through this and putting the messages together for it, and then I just quit because I just, I've had a, a thought on how there's, I've never felt completely honest in how some things are taught in 1 John chapter 3, and then a passage in chapter 5. I, I, I've heard preaching on that. I've preached from things on that, but it just never seemed quite right. I just never felt real honest about it, and I really wanted to get this tackled for a long time. And a few years ago, I think I I kind of figured out, you know, what we need to do. But it was proving that that it was difficult, proving that that's a proper interpretation. And so I finally, though, uh, when I was going through First or Second, when we were going through First and Second Peter. You know, I noticed something in that passage that to me, you know, gave a lot of proof for what, how I want to interpret some of the difficult passages here in first John, but I just want to put out a few disclaimers as we go through this, uh, the way I'm in, I'm going to go through this book and what I'm going to teach you in this book is something that I guess it's more of a theory on how to interpret some of the difficult passages. Because of the fact I am not 100% sure about you know what all was going on when John is dealing with these things. There's a lot of different opinions out there about you know the historical context, and I think all of that kind of thing is legitimate. But at the same time, um, you know all the different theories I, I've heard, it just doesn't seem to fit with what he's saying, and so. I'm going to in this message, kind of introducing it, I'm going to kind of show you a scenario that I believe was going on during that time, and I can prove certain things that were going on, you know, in John's day. And I believe a lot of what he is dealing with is addressing these things. and that and, and when we understand that, it'll help us understand why he said some things the way he said it. And uh, at the end of the day, though, you always want to make sure you don't go to difficult passages to get your doctrine. You know, you always want to interpret the difficult passages in light of the simple and direct passages. And every preacher I've talked to about 1 John, they will all tell you, this is a tough book. And I think a lot of that is because we don't fully understand everything that was going on when John wrote what he did. But I'm going to paint a picture for you that I believe was going on. And, you know, I think it all makes sense and it makes everything fit together in the book there could be you know I might not be hundred percent on some of these things, but I won't be mad at you if you don't agree with me 100% either too. but anyway, um, I don't want to get ahead of myself on these things. Well I want to start going through this book so before we do, a few things you got to understand though when reading the book of First John is that John is not the Apostle Paul. John has a different writing style than the Apostle Paul. We forget that you know while God inspired all of the Bible, you can see a little bit of the man's personality in their own writing. And they all have different styles, different ways, different, maybe even different ways of saying things and communicating things. And we also need to understand who he was writing to, what was going on when it was written should be factored in when interpreting this book. Unfortunately for so long, especially in the IFB world, we've always just taken things from the scripture and we've used them to try to make personal application which is not wrong for today. You know, we make personal application for today and for today's situation. We make it fit the context of what's going on today. For example, anytime somebody leaves a Baptist church, they went out from us because they were not of us. That's in First John, right? And, it, you know, it's not wrong to take that principle, but we've done that for so long, we forget who the they was that went out from them. Why did they go out from them? You know, because there's a big difference between leaving a church... Because you deny that Jesus is the Christ and leaving a church because you don't like the church's standards. You understand there's a big difference there. Did you know somebody might not like our standards? They could leave our church and they might still be a brother and sister in Christ. So, you know, we got to be careful about that. And we do that with parables. We never, ever, ever talk about We were talking about this before church, why they were originally given, what Jesus was specifically dealing with. We only make personal application. And as a result of us forgetting the original application, it makes it easy for false prophets to come in and start pulling some crazy doctrines from these things. I mean, look what it says right there. It's like, well, it does say that. And we're always isolating scriptures using proof texts. For something. We gotta watch out for that, or we're gonna get in a lot of trouble. And so we need um, you know, most preaching in 1 John is just that. It's like personal application for today's situation. But we want to, I think it's important we understand what was going on. So the big question you know, what do we use to determine what was going on when John wrote this? What what are we gonna go off of? Now, what everybody wants to automatically do and is and, uh, and if you read books on this, commentaries, they all say the same thing. Well, you've got to understand what was going on in the early church in that day. And we find out from history, not the Bible, but from history, and there was a false doctrine called Gnosticism that was going on during that time. Now, I can't show you that in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell us that. History tells us that. Now, here's the thing. They might be 100% right on what they're saying about history. But the thing is... You know, forgive me for being just a little bit nervous when your interpretation is based solely on history and not something from the Bible. And I'm all for using historical context, but here's the thing, too. They'll get in, they'll tell you all this stuff about Gnosticism, and we might talk about that a little bit if we have time tonight. But the problem is, okay, but the way you're still interpreting the rest of this book still doesn't make sense. But it's like something that they do when they get to a difficult passage... Now, let me all tell you some stuff about early church history and Gnosticism and stuff I read, you know, in, in, by Ignatius or whatever. You know, they'll tell you all these things. And it's like they're getting you sidetracked from that verse. They're wanting you to forget about it. And then later, all right, let's get back to the passage. Like, wait a minute. You still haven't explained this passage of Scripture right here. And even if you're right about what you're saying was going on historically then, how does this these difficult passages fit with that? And it just doesn't. And so... Um, I'm not saying these people are wrong in what they're saying about history, but I will say that I mainly want to focus on what we see going on historically from the Bible, from the book of Acts. I, I, I want to do that. It doesn't mean everything they're saying about what was going on in history is wrong because this Gnosticism, it was kind of a, you know, a Jewish heresy that was going on and we shouldn't be surprised if there was heresies going on amongst the Jews since they lost the kingdom. Since God quit working with them and was now working with those who stayed true to their religion and it embraced Jesus Christ and were now being called Christians and were being persecuted by this new religion of people who said they were Jews and were not, but lied, but were of the synagogue of Satan. And, and uh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we forget about all these things that were going on. And a lot of the problem is just dispensationalism. Dispensationalism has done more to just damage good doctrine in Baptist churches than anything. There's so many mistakes that they've made that have just messed everyone out. We got to watch out for that. And so, uh, what I want, what what I believe is going on in this book, is something we need to keep in mind. I want us to, in your mind, okay, don't make life application for this. Do not figure out, think about how can I apply this to me tonight. I want you to think about what if you were a Jew. From the first century. Imagine being a Jew in the first century before Christ died on the cross where you had a history of offering up sacrifices. Where you had a history of having a Levitical priest. Where you had a history of doing all these customs that Jews did. Imagine that was you and then all of a sudden. And think about this. The Jews hadn't had any revelation of God for for over 400 years before Christ came. They had what was known as the 400 silent years. The Jews had been doing what they were doing and the way they were doing it for over 400 years. And then Jesus comes along and changes everything. And so the thing is, all those people who followed Jesus, we understand they stayed true to their religion, didn't they? They obeyed the Old Testament. We've got to stop acting like that the New Testament church was like the new religion that was started. No. It was the old religion reformed. And we've talked about that. It was the old religion reformed. God reformed Israel. God reformed Judaism. Hebrews calls it the time of reformation. And so those who were obedient, you know what they did? They followed Jesus Christ. Those who rejected Christ... They were broken off of that olive tree, is the way Paul describes it. Those, they were branches that were broken off. But you understand, all those broken branches, they remained together. And so, today, we, we're still calling them Jews. But John said, they say they're Jews, but they're not. They do lie. The truth is, they started a new religion. And understand, too, one thing we see going on historically in the Bible is there were many Jews who got saved, but then later they were being tempted into going back to those Old Testament practices. The Apostle Paul dealt with that in the book of Galatians. People were going back to that old way. And there was there was a push from a lot of Jew, Jews who supposedly had gotten saved were Christians that were trying to bring them back to that old way of Judaism. And the truth is, the, those... People were apostate. And I personally believe, too, that you could say that, you know, that was a great falling away that took place when Christians, you know, saved Jews are going back to their old ways. That's them going apostate. That's them going out from them because they were not of them. They were never truly born again. And they went back to those old ways. And I wish I had time to kind of go to some passages Uh, proving a lot of these things but i just we need to get in that mindset that there was a group of people that had been under the old covenant and that now are in the new covenant jews still Jews, still assembling together with the same group of people they did i don't believe they saw themselves as being a part of a new religion they saw themselves as a part of their old religion but reformed. We got to keep all that in mind. The dispensationalists have, you know, they oh, the church started out on Pentecost, you know, like it was a new thing that got going. No, it was the old thing reformed. And so, think about this, especially in Jerusalem, amongst the Jews in Jerusalem. Imagine church in Jerusalem. Now, one thing we're going to see, we're going to see this. We already looked at it a little bit on Wednesday, going through the Book of Acts. Where do we see them meeting? in acts chapter one where did the church assemble together in acts chapter one anybody remember the temple now what are they doing gathering at the temple we're in the new covenant that's part of the old covenant what are they doing at the temple they don't understand this yet they don't understand that god is done with that temple so imagine what it was like for christians jewish christians in jerusalem there was there was a lot of conflict between the Jews and between the Pharisees and between the Sadducees. They were, they were kind of like another sect of Judaism during that time. But they still felt like they had claim to the temple. They still felt like, you know, they had claim to all these things of Israel. They didn't feel like they lost their inheritance because they followed Christ. You all understand that? The church, because the church, we do have we have the inheritance of the saints. I've preached on that before, too. So the thing is. You know, when all of a sudden now, if years later, we've got Christians in Jerusalem who are departing from what John, guys like John is teaching, that would be kind of a confusing time. And where was most of the persecution going on? At that time? I mean, there was a lot of persecution for the Christians in Jerusalem. That was one of the most hostile places. And you know what? Something else that we know about John historically from the book of Acts His ministry was focused in Jerusalem. Now, I don't believe that John was in Jerusalem when he wrote this or may not even been writing to uh, anybody in Jerusalem. We don't really know who he's writing to, but we do know that John was commissioned to go to the Jews, to the circumcision. We see in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seem to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Okay? So keep that in mind. John's main thing, he's going to the circumcision. He's going to the Jews. Every time we see John mentioned in the book of Acts, he's in Jerusalem. So um, we know really with the exception of Paul, most of the apostles, they worked with the Jews. We think it was all about Gentiles because we're always reading Paul's epistles. But Paul's, yes, his were all meant to the Gentiles because that's who he's ministering to. Peter, James, John, they were ministering to the circumcision. Book of James. James wrote to the 12 tribes of Israel scattered abroad. So we got to understand those first century Jewish Christians would have had a mindset that we're not familiar with. None of us ever offered up sacrifices. How many of you here before, you know, you, you, nobody did. But imagine sinning is like, all right, you just did this bad thing. You've got to go offer up, you know, this kind of sacrifice to take care of that sin. We we've never done that. But imagine if for thousands of years, you'd been doing that and now it's gone. That would be kind of weird. Wouldn't it? Think, think about how weird that would be. And it was definitely difficult for them. So chances are most of the early churches were probably made up of predominantly Jewish people. Now, Something that even Paul dealt... And again, something Paul dealt with in his ministry was people going back to Judaism. In fact, that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. Okay, The writer is exhorting the Hebrews to not make the same, same mistake that their fathers did in the wilderness. He's telling them, don't fall in the wilderness like they did. You're in a time... There's a time of transition right now. If you want to remain as the people of God... You must accept Jesus Christ. You must embrace Christ or you are going to be, you're going to be done. It's going to be over for you. And you know what? Many Jews, they failed to enter into his rest. And you know what they did? They tried to follow that old covenant and they failed. And you know what? Eventually, Jerusalem got wiped out. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to just show them, you're not violating the Old Testament by following Christ. You're obeying the Old Testament. Yes, Jesus, is a, He can be a high priest even though He's from Judah. He's after the order of Melchizedek. And He's going and giving all these things. We've talked a lot about that before. You have to have that in mind when you're reading the book of Hebrews. That's very important. So, to help you understand my mindset when I'm interpreting the book of 1 John, the picture I have in my head is a church of probably mainly and mostly first century Jews that used to offer up sacrifices before Jesus Christ came. Okay? And so we are, we are a part... These are people, they are a part of the one and only generation that transitioned from the Old Testament to the New Testament. This was a special generation. So, you know, imagine you're a part of this group and, you know, in your synagogue, let's just say, we, let's just pretend we're them. Okay? We were there. We used to offer up sacrifices. We remember doing all that stuff. Jesus Christ came... He reformed some things. We're doing things different now. We're not offering up the sacrifice anymore. We don't have a, high, don't have a Levitical priest anymore. Things are different. We have the priest of the believer. All these things are changing. We're learning these things from the apostles. They're showing us how to do things because a lot has changed. But then imagine here we are, and let's just say we're in Jerusalem. And our church, it used to be double in size, but we had a big split in the church. And a bunch of our brothers literally our brothers fellow jews that were with us in the old covenant that follows in the new covenant they've apostatized and they've gone back to the old covenant imagine that because that kind of thing was going on back in that day where some people they're getting in on this but then later you've got these other these jews out there saying no jesus hasn't come in the flesh the messiah has not come jesus is not the son of god you know what we need to stick to these old ways we're going to stay to the old paths. I mean, you know, that's probably, that's probably how they did it back then. And then they went and, and a lot of them did that. that. And then not only that, you had these people who at one time they worshiped with who were persecuting them. Literally, their brothers they are persecuting, them, trying to kill them. Were the Jews not trying to kill Christians? And understand these Christians, they were trying to kill were other Jews. These are literally their brothers, physically speaking. Now we know spiritually they weren't. So you've got to keep all those things in mind when we're looking at this book, all right? That's what was going on that time. You had Jews, those who said they were Jews, who were saying, Jesus is not the Christ, you are not our brothers, and they were persecuting them. That's what's going on during that time. So keep that, keep all those things in mind and as we go through. This entire book. I don't want to have to reiterate all this stuff each week, but let's go ahead and start reading that, reading this chapter now with all that mind. So in verse one, it says, "That which from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, the word of life." And this very first verse is important because right from the get-go, we see a motivation for why John wrote this letter. Okay? Because who who was from the beginning? that they had heard, seen, looked upon, and handled. It's Jesus Christ. That's who he's talking about. There's no doubt John is writing this letter and addressing the things that he is in response to something that was going on. There's clearly some kind of conflict going on. Okay. There's no doubt, you can see it as we read this, there was some kind of conflict going on, and John is addressing some things in this conflict. And I believe it's become, it becomes very clear they were dealing with Jews who claimed to believe God, but they denied the Son. I believe it's very clear that's what's going on. One, and one thing very common in the Baptist world for preachers, you know, and especially when preaching at like a conference or something. And I've been... All the Baptist conferences are doing this right now. All of them. But you'll hear a preacher get up and he'll say something. You know, they often take digs at the other crowd in their preaching they'll be preaching a sermon but they'll kind of throw things in there that are kind of digs at another crowd so one that i keep hearing all the time is like i'm an independent fundamental king james only baptist and folks i ain't recovering from nothing okay now that statement by itself it makes sense doesn't it but when you throw in that and i ain't recovering from nothing i've been hearing a lot of baptists talking about how they're not recovering from anything now why are they doing that i'll tell you why because we've got some apostates going around, calling themselves recovering fundamentalists. You know, they're they're recovering from all the legalism and all the persecution and you know, terrible things about the IFB. And you know what? And some of us were hearing what they have to say, and we're like, we're hearing the criticism. Like, I don't see anything wrong with this group of people they're talking about. You know, I ain't recovering from anything. And so it is. It's it's, it's kind of a dig that that we're seeing going on there. And I personally believe we can kind of see some of that uh, going on by some of the things that he's saying. And so if you're in the know, you kind of understand those references, you know, but you know, if you aren't, you're still going to get the main message or you'll still get the main message, but there's another level that you might miss. And so uh, verse two says, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life. Which was with the Father, and manifested unto us. So he's still talking about Jesus Christ and showing how what he was given was from the beginning, but there were some new revelations that came with him. Now this introduction is similar to some of the other passages or the other uh, books that were written specifically to the Jews. For example, in Hebrews chapter one and verse one it says, "God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake." In the, spake in these last times unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath he appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. There, in the book of Hebrews, He's showing He's right from the get-go. Hey, in sundry times and in divers manners, God has spoken to His people, and in these last days, God has spoken unto us by His Son. That's how he kind of that's how he kind of kicks everything off. The apostles didn't start a new religion. What they had was from the beginning. What they had was not a new thing. Clarence Larkin hadn't wrote his new book yet, telling everybody how the church began at Pentecost. Now, there were changes that were made, but all these writers, when writing to Jews, are showing no, what we have is from the beginning. What we have is what's is what's always been but God has just revealed more to us in these last days. So John starts the book up that way. We can see in 2 Peter, we don't have time. Well, we might go to 2 Peter in a little bit, show how he did kind of the same thing. But he starts off this book doing something that many of these other books did. In fact, Acts. Acts chapter 1 says, the Former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach unto the day He was taken up, after that He, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What they were always doing is they're always trying to show the Jews, hey, we have good reason to follow Jesus Christ. We have good legal precedent for this. Because even because you know, we have what the law says, and what we are saying actually lines up with the law, law, but we also have witnesses too, which was very important according to the law. And folks, we were there. We saw it. We handled it. We were eyewitnesses of it. They're emphasizing these things because these things would be very important to the Jews who were all about the law and who were all about the letter of the law. And so they're emphasizing these things to always let them know, you're never going against the Old Testament, When you follow after Jesus Christ. Another thing that they weren't saying back then. That's a new dumb thing that Baptists are saying right now. Is that well you know the difference between Jews and Christians. Is Jews believe the Old Testament. We believe the Old and New Testament. Wrong. We believe the Old and New Testament. And the Jews don't believe either. End of story. Okay. Take that up with Jesus. Take that up with Peter. Take that up with the Apostle Paul. They don't believe the Old Testament. That's all there there is to it. And so we see these things being addressed in the Bible. So if you were... uh, Oh, I lost my spot. So yeah, so the book of Hebrews, it's, it's much different than Paul's epistles because Paul's epistles were written to Gentiles who struggled with behaving like Christians. They had a tough time with that because they were a very immoral people. While the book of Hebrews is specifically dealing with people who knew how to act but they were struggling with all the new ways that came with following Christ. They were a people all about tradition and these new ways were freaking them out. And so if you were a part of a people who had been loyal to a certain way for generations, you know, you would struggle greatly with all the changes that came with the new covenant. It would be easy to probably, you know, lead you astray and get you going back to the old ways that you were used to that you were comfortable with. They've been going on for a long time. And so in the book of Hebrews, we see this theme of not going back. We see that throughout the book. And what they were trying to go back to was something that in a way used to be right. But you know, is anybody facing anything like that today? No. Okay. What we've been doing, we've been doing what we're doing for the last 2,000 years. And so, and think about how much it would, what it would take to get us to change our ways. Think about that. And I'll tell you right now, you know what it would take for me to change our ways? Jesus Christ returning. Okay. Now, I, listen, I, this is just my opinion. Can I throw in my opinion? I think when Jesus Christ returns, I think there's going to be a group of people that are going to try not to change. And I think they're going to come out of the Baptist group. <laughs> I, think be, I think it's going to be the unsaved Baptists that are out there preaching what they do by tradition, not by conviction, all that kind of stuff. I think they're going to stick to the old paths and they're going to keep doing things exactly the same. And I think they're going to be apostate during that. That's just my opinion. I might be dead wrong on that, but I won't be surprised. I I think we'll see some people trying to do things exactly the same way, but it, it would take Jesus coming back. And you know what? The Jews should have listened because God literally came to earth and told them change. Moses told them the Lord's going to raise a prophet. Among your own brethren, like unto me, unto him shall ye hear. He, Moses told them to do it. They weren't violating anything in the law by listening to Jesus and changing things. And yes, they did change things. So, uh, but we're, we, we're not facing this today, folks. We don't have a new way. And if some group comes along trying to promote a new way, you know what? Avoid them. Mark them. So verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. Truly, our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, who is the we that John is referring to? Well, clearly, he, he's referring to the apostles. Okay? And look at what it says in Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1, we see kind of the same thing. Again, I believe Peter is writing to Jewish believers. And he says in verse 16, "...for we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty." For he received from God the Father honor and glory, and there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, unto the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So Peter says the same thing. Folks, you can can listen to what we're saying. We were eyewitnesses of it. We heard God speak. He said we heard this directly from God. Because understand, the New Testament hasn't been written yet. You and I, we just take for granted, hey, if it's in the Bible, it's good. But folks, this had not been written yet. The New Testament had not been written yet during this time. And so the apostles, they are giving their eyewitness testimony. And you know what? The Jews should have listened to it. They were right. The ones who did were right to listen to it. And they did not violate anything in the Old Testament. So John makes it clear in this verse that the fellowship that you had to have, if you were going to have fellowship with them, is you have to acknowledge the Father and the Son. Now, Now, why would he bring that up? Was there a group back then that acknowledged the Father and denied the Son? Yes, there was who were they? It was the Jews. The very people John was sent to minister to. They said they believed in the father, but they denied the son. Now you and I know you can't do that. You cannot do that. Jesus dealt with the same thing when the, when the Pharisees and when the Jews wouldn't listen to him. And he, that's when he said to, I am my father or one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They're, they're you know, rejecting Jesus' words and saying, no, we're followers of God. We're believers in God. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not. No, you're not. You, if you deny the Son, you don't have the Father. And we know there was a group back then, oh, it was the Gnostics, who they believed in a, like, it was, like the coming of Christ wasn't physical, it wasn't real, that He was kind of just an illusion. Okay, well, that sounds super weird. And I wouldn't be surprised if some people back then thought something like that. But you know what? The Bible does tell us about a group of people that claimed the Father and denied the Son. We call them the Jews. But it's like, in the dispensational world, we're not allowed to say anything against them. But John said a lot of stuff against them. And so, you know, uh, I I think that's a better way to go with this. So, think about this. Said so If this is... If this was written in the 90s, okay, like not our 90s, but you know 90 AD, most of these people wouldn't have even been alive when Jesus was on earth. That's how far we are I think it's because Jesus died around 80 30. so we're about 60 years later. So you know think about this. these people are already now have entered into a time where they're talking about something from the past they've just got to have faith in. But understand the people they're listening to, were people who were eyewitnesses and they should have listened to them. And so in verse four, it says, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. And so while John believed these people were saved, it's clear that some maybe were having some doubts based on what others had been saying. And and it says in verse uh, chapter five, verse 13, we know this passage, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So the beginning and the end of this book, it shows the purpose of this book. It's written so they would believe on Christ and so they would know that they're saved. Because again, I mean, I mean, think about it. Have you ever, I mean, Now, this has never happened in the Baptist world. But in the Baptist world, have, you know, imagine if, you had a group that was in your church that you worshipped with, you went souling with, and then all of a sudden they got caught up in some heresy or something, or maybe were accused of heresy, and said, you know what, none of them were saved. All right, has that ever happened in a Baptist church before? Yeah, that happens all the time in Baptist churches. But you know what? It, it would be, I mean, imagine how you would feel if just all of a sudden, okay, none of us would ever get involved in heresy, right? But imagine how you would feel if like all of a sudden you started believing something, you started doing something and then we all just declared you unsaved. If enough Baptists were telling you you are unsaved, you might start to wonder sometimes. I mean, I, I know a lot of people have been there before. It's like so many people tell you, you're not saved. You start to wonder. That kind of thing was going on back then. And these were this was coming from people that were literally their brothers, people that they used to worship with and they're all telling them, you're not saved. And so John is writing them and telling them, hey, no, you are saved. And these people that are following Christ said, in a sense, they're the ones doing the newer thing, aren't they? Because, um, you know, the ways that they were practicing was new. So uh, where are we at? Verse five. So it says, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So John is stating what he is about to say came directly from Christ. Then he says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now, what does it mean to walk in darkness? Would it be appropriate for me to just go and define this however I want? Because okay? that's what preachers do. If I, want, if I don't like something you're doing, uh, these people ain't dressing the way they're supposed to dress. Still walking in darkness. I don't know about I don't know about you, you know. In Christ is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. We got these people, you know. They're still doing this. They're still caught up in this sin. They're still caught up in that sin. They're still walking in dark. Is that what John was talking about? When John said walking in darkness, what did he mean? See, we've we, I want to declare what you're doing walking in darkness because I don't like something you're doing. Now, I got a verse, man. In Him, there's no darkness in Jesus Christ. Some of y'all messing around with that sin, still walking in darkness. My question: Your salvation? You know, in the book of First John, we see you're not going to walk in darkness if you're really saved. Saw you know, saw you at the bar the other night, walking in darkness. Is that what that means? Is that what that means? Do I just get to take that verse and then make a modern-day application for it, however I want, and then take away your salvation or confuse you in your salvation? Is that what we're supposed to do? What was John talking about? What did walking in darkness? Did they start wearing skinny britches and listen to the recovering fundamentalists? Is that what it meant? <laughs> what What did it look like back then in that day? Okay, that's what we call it in this day. But but is that is that fair? Is that right? Is that proper proper use? ...of the Scripture. What does it mean? Let's get it in John's head and find out exactly what he meant. Because there's all kinds of ways we can try to do that. But look what it says in 1 John chapter 2. Verse 8 it says, "...again a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him." But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth, because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. And let me and we're going to see this as we go out throughout the book. But throughout all of 1 John, there are really only two main sins that John deals with in this book, and that's denying Jesus as the Christ and hating your brother. Those are, the, those are the sins. Here he calls walking in darkness, hating your brother. Is that the same as you know doing something I don't like you doing? No, this is something very specific. Okay, and there are going to we're going to see there's references to sin in general in 1 John. We're going to see that, but these two things keep getting repeated. Why? Because that's what was going on during that time. They had a group of people that went out from them that left them that were there, that said they were followers of God or believers in God, and they were persecuting and they hated. So they're so called brothers. These people were clearly walking in darkness. And so, what if I said, you know, John was referring to someone you know, who just doesn't know Christ as walking in darkness? What would my basis be for that? Well, again, verse 5, uh, or John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 5 says, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Talking about Jesus. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of that light that all men through him should believe. So, John is specifically talking about how John was sent to the Jews to bear witness of that light. And you know what? The Jews rejected that light. So, would it be safe to say that those who rejected Jesus Christ were walking in darkness? I would, wouldn't it? But is the... does a bad Christian who believes on Christ and acknowledges Christ, but they're not a very good Christian, is that walking in darkness? That's, that's pretty different than you know, a Christian getting caught up in sin and someone denying Jesus as a Christ. Those are completely different things. But John, you know, definitely refer to that as walking in darkness. We see also in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then, For God sent not His Son to the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Would it be safe to say that those who do not believe on Christ are walking in darkness according to John Absolutely. So again, walking in darkness in 1 John is not a Christian who's not a very good Christian and being sinful. It's somebody who's denying Jesus Christ. That's what it, it means to walk in darkness. And there's a bunch more. I don't have time. I, I, am, I have a lot to cover and a little time to do it. There's a bunch of verses in the Gospel of John where that is exactly what he calls it. And so uh, do, do a study on that sometime. But having read all this, Again, what does it mean to walk in darkness? It doesn't mean you're never going to sin, folks. It means you'll have knowledge of the truth. And many people today are struggling in their religion because they're just not convinced. They don't know the truth. They're in darkness. There's people in Baptist churches, they're trying out Christ, but they're not convinced. They're, They're trying to be like a Baptist, but they're not convinced. They haven't really put their faith and trust in Christ and it's only a matter of time before they leave us. They tried it out. People try out being Baptist all the time. But you, you know what? You need to be convinced. You need to actually believe it to be saved. Just dressing like us, looking like us, acting like us, that's not going to do anything. You've got to actually believe on Christ. And so when you walk in the physical darkness, you're going to trip. You're going to fall. When you walk in spiritual darkness, you're not going to have confidence. And you're going to mess up all the time. You're going to get caught up in all kinds of heresies. It's this way it's going to work. A saved person, though, can sin. But here's the difference between a saved person and a lost person. A saved person will know full well what they are doing is wrong. Do you all understand that? If I rob a gas station tonight after church, that's not me walking in darkness. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know that that is wrong. That's not me walking in darkness. Okay? When you walk in darkness, you trip, you mess up, you make, you make big mistakes. Me going out and willfully sinning is not me walking in darkness. That's me being disobedient, and God's going to deal with me. I know the difference between right and wrong. So again, making walking in darkness about committing sins, all right, committing sins, in general of morality, whatever. That is not what we see going on in First John. And a lot of people want to use First John as like a test to see if you're saved, which is fine. But then they'll talk about sin in your life. You still got all the sin in your life. In 1 John, you might need to check yourself. And then that's not what he's doing. People walking in darkness are those who reject Jesus Christ. So, you know, to sum up walking in darkness, it's basically you going through life or even religion without the assurance of salvation. And that takes us back to why this book was written It's so we'll know we'll have eternal life and therefore walk in the light. And so, verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, Then we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanseth us from all sin. So if we know the truth and walk in the truth, we're going to have fellowship with those who believe that same truth. They're not, we're not going to be trying to kill each other, which is what was going on back then. Now, why did he throw in that part? Because people say, no, it is about sin. Because he threw in that part about the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Okay, Why did he throw that in there? Well, I believe that all sin here is being used in the context, not so much in, you know, the blood of Christ cleanses us from any sin a person could ever commit, even though I believe it can do that. I don't think that's what he's talking about here specifically, though. I believe what he's talking about here is something that would be very difficult for the Jewish people to grasp. And that is the fact that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin, meaning past, present, and future sin. That I believe that's what it's talking about. Because again, those Jewish believers, they lived during a time, and we don't have time to go to Hebrews chapter 7, but remember how they used to have to make regular offerings for sin. Again, this is foreign to us. Remember when he said, um, if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins? Why did he say that? Because there was a time when if you sinned, you could just go offer up an offering. And folks, there are some sins that if it was just giving up an offering or an animal or something like that, I'd be like, ah, it's worth it. You know, let's go ahead and you know, I, I can do that. And then I'm all good. And you know what? The Jews were big on that. But remember my message I just preached about. What was the message I just preached last Sunday? Was it last Sunday? About uh, godly sorrow worked with repentance. They, they, the Jews, they got all cut up. Oh, I can just give an offering for this. But that's, it wasn't about the offering. It was about showing that they were sinful. And what God really wanted was a broken and contrite heart. God wanted them to actually be sorry for their sin. But no, hey, as long as I'm following the letter, I'm okay. No, you're, you're missing the point. You're missing the point of this. God wants you to actually be sorry. He wants you to be in agreement with him about this sin. And so this idea of our sins, they're all covered. That was kind of a new thing for them. Oh, man, I just messed up. What what do I do? Hey, the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. And so, you know, we just confess it. Just confess that sin to Christ. And he'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Typically, people use these verses... And talking to lost people, but these are this is actually geared towards saved people so they can understand you're not going to lose your salvation. You're not gonna you're not gonna lose these things. The blood of Christ takes care of it all. Verse eight If we say that we have no sin, John's including himself in here, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And the problem that the Jews had that the Gospel of John deals with a lot is their inability to see their own sin. They, they struggled with that. And they thought they were good because of all the things that they did. No, I'm good. I don't, I don't have sin I need to worry about. Yes, you do. And here he's talking to save people. Like if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. That's all there is to it. And that applies to every one of us in here. John 15:20 says, Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not Him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had no sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. And the truth is that the truth had been revealed to the Jews, but you know what they did? They hid their eyes from it. Because they loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. They just didn't know it. And Jesus came to shine a light on that. And you know what they did? They chose to remain in darkness. And so they were without excuse. The darkness that they walked in was their own choice and those who had accepted christ they were walking in light not because they had a better lifestyle but because they believed on christ but you know what you know what those jews were doing same thing they did to jesus they were probably accusing them of being sinful hey when was the last time you went and offered up a lamb? when was the last time you offered up a sacrifice to god really you did nothing you're not a very good Christian. I, I saw you do something. I saw you lose your temper the other day. I saw you commit this sin the other day. You know the Jews were constantly on these Christians for their for being sinful, not being as righteous as they were. But the truth is, you know, those Jesus Christ's blood cleanses from all sin. And folks, in that old covenant, there was, and Hebrews talks about it, there was a con- continual offering. There was this continual priesthood. There were all these, these things they had to maintain. But the book of Hebrews shows how though when you accept Christ, you enter into his rest. And so they went from a religion where there was all these works and things they had to do, where now we see this emphasis on resting in Jesus Christ. And you know what? It takes faith to believe that. It's easier to believe, i got to go do some great work to make up for my sin. It, it, it's, it's easier to believe that than to believe, my sin's already taken care of, and I'm just going to trust in that. That that takes faith. And the truth is, when you're just, you know, living by faith, it's real easy for these people to come along, you know, these the works crowd, and to just accuse you of all kinds of things. And we, again, we shouldn't be a bad example on this. But at the end of the day, we would be nuts to think we're not sinful. See, the truth is, those who actually believe all of the Bible understand. On your best day, you're still sinful. But, you know, we're not trying to take advantage of the blood of Christ, but we do take comfort in the fact that his blood cleanses us from all sins. And so we're good. We're covered. And you know what? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, folks, I believe if a lost person confess their sins, Jesus Christ will be faithful and just, and he'll forgive them of their sins, and he'll cleanse them from all unrighteousness. But I believe this is geared toward saved people right here. He's, he's telling them that, you know what, we need we should continue to confess our sins to God. Not for salvation, but for fellowship. For fellowship, we should do these things, and he'll cleanse us every single time. So if I tell a lost person to so you know to confess that they are a sinner to God and believe on him, God will forgive them. But I do believe this was about this, this when John said these words, I believe he was talking to save people. And so Uh, It is showing that if we confess our sins to God, He will cleanse us. We will continue to have fellowship even though we haven't sacrificed an animal. Back in the Old Testament, if they didn't do certain ceremonial things, they weren't allowed to go into the congregation. They would be excluded from things. You all understand that? that? That's what they grew up around. That's what they were used to. That's what they knew being excluded from things because we didn't do these offerings. But then, maybe they had a bad week. Maybe they messed up. Maybe that person's wife was nagging him, and then he just totally lost it on her and, you know, just, you know, said some cuss words and things. And then now Sunday rolls around. It's time to go to church. Shouldn't I be offering up a sacrifice or something? I mean, I did some bad stuff this week. Surely, I've got to do something. There's no way they're going to let me go in that congregation with all the sin that I've done. But you know what? Here's what you have to do. All right? Yeah, you used to have to go offer up some kind of sacrifice for that. Here's what you need to do right now. Tell it to Jesus. And folks, we take that for granted, don't we? We completely take that for granted because that's all we've ever known. And you know what? I thank God that's how it is. I'm glad I don't have to go confess my sins to a priest. I, I, and, and, you know, and you know, I know they didn't have like the Catholic confession even in the Old Testament. But you're kind of confessing your sin to a priest when you have to go to the priest and say, "I messed up, and I got to do the sacrifice." I mean, who, who wants to go sharing that with a priest, an earthly priest, but you know what? We should confess our sins to a priest, to the high priest, Jesus Christ. And every time we go to him, his blood cleanses us from all sin. And you know what? Then you can show up to church Sunday. You're all good. You can have fellowship. You can keep continue bringing your prayers to God and he'll hear your prayers. Folks, Again, we take it for granted. But think about these people. That They should have been thrilled and excited about this. But again, it was probably a foreign thing to them. So verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And anyone who thinks they are without sin is clearly in darkness. No doubt about that. And it's important that we take special notice of the fact that That John makes it very clear in chapter 1. Let's got to keep this in mind for later on. John makes it very clear. Saved people will have sin in their life. There's no doubt John makes that very clear. In fact, you're in darkness if you don't think you have sin in your life. Remember that he said that when we get to chapter 3. I don't want to preach this chapter again. But 1 John is a very unique book dealing with unique people in a unique situation. And while there's something here for all of us, I don't want us to ignore what's specifically being dealt with in these passages and then form weird doctrines, you know, from other verses in this passage without understanding the context. If we get the context of this, I think it all be all becomes very clear what John is dealing with when we get to chapter 3 and then 2, chapter 5. There's, there's, there's stuff that even I've preached from chapter 5 before, and it's not about the Trinity, don't worry, where I'm just like, are we sure that's what he's talking about right there? Uh, and, and and what people often preach from there is technically biblical. They just shouldn't be using that verse. And and so we want to keep all these things in mind and have a full understanding. So hopefully this was a help to you in understanding the book of 1 John. And so I would encourage you uh, as we go through this, read ahead, read, read these passages and try to get a... a you know, full grasp on it, and I believe it will be a big help to you. So with that, let's pray here. Lord, I hope this message was a, help and a blessing to everyone. Lord, we thank you so much for all the things that we just take for granted. Lord, I'm, I'm glad I've never had to offer up sacrifices. I'm glad I've never had to uh, go to a high priest for anything uh, on this earth. Uh, Lord, uh, we forget about these things, and I pray you'll help us, uh, this message to just put us in remembrance of how things once were and how much better things are under this new covenant, and I pray it will give us a, a new and greater appreciation for Uh, you and what you did in the cross for us. In your name we pray. Amen.